When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined today by none other than Mr. Bill Oram, who is filling in for Chris Reifer, who decided to uh, take a vacation, which, you know, why why would anyone ever do that when you can talk about soccer on a podcast, right? So Bill's here. He's got his coffee. He's he's groggily agreed to uh, wake up this morning at 9, 9.30 uh, to do this podcast. He normally rolls out of bed at like 1 p.m., you know, rattles off some some Pac-12 football takes and then, you know, kind of disappears into the night. But uh, he's here with us this morning. So, Mr. Bill Oram, welcome. And uh, we appreciate your presence as always. It's a pleasure to be here, Ryan. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. I guess we'll just let that uh, <laughs> we'll let that stand as fact that that is how the father of two young boys lives life. It sounds nice. <laughs> it sounds very nice. Yeah, that would be a that would be a fantasy, right? To to not be waking <laughs> up early, uh, to screaming or destruction or or any other, um, any other distractions. Uh, I I sort of sympathize, but in in no way am experiencing something even close to similar. In that you know we have three dogs that wake up early and kind of bark at us in the morning. Not the same. Very easy to take care of those things compared to to walking sentient little monsters that uh that are children of human origin um, yeah right that 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 sounds that sounds rough <laughs> get the get the pun counter out where it where it won um if only i had a little ding sound effect that would uh that would work and operate for for that but let's get going here on on the different subjects of the week plenty of them to talk about in, in the soccer sphere for uh, listeners and for people in the city of Portland, uh, the the top of the list, of course, being the story that um, I had this morning, uh, an exclusive interview with Heather Davis on the Portland Thorns sale, which we have not had an update on in eight months since Merritt Paulson announced he was going to sell the Thorns, separate, of course, from the Timbers. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of complexities, a lot of uh, different steps in the process. But there were no updates. We didn't know anything, essentially, about the sale other than that there was one interested party, a, a group of women investors led by uh, former Nike executive Melanie Strong. As part of this story, uh, part of the larger story, uh, we found out that they did not make the threshold for consideration. Um, the perspective from from the team side is that they they didn't have the requisite money to invest uh they didn't have enough net worth in their majority ownership to to invest in the team um and from mel strong's group's side they felt that the process was confusing they didn't think it was necessarily fair to them as investors um so that's part of it and and the larger picture is that the sale is set to be completed by the end of 2023 that's according to heather davis who spoke with us at length uh, on this subject. Uh, she said that there are multiple interested parties that have made it through the the qualification threshold and are now doing their due diligence and pouring over the finances and the history of the team and figuring out how, how their purchase would work, what their bid looks like, what they're going to pay, uh, how the team's going to have a relationship with the Timbers, all that good stuff. Um, so, so plenty to, to unpack there, but Bill, your your initial reactions to just what we now know uh, about the Portland Thorns sale at this point. Well, I think the most interesting thing 
there were a few things and that was a, a really important piece of reporting from you, Ryan, and a, a great story to finally get um, on this situation. Cause I think we've all been kind of sitting around saying, you said you're going to sell this team, but what are you actually doing? Where, where are we in that process? What does that actually look like? And <clears throat> the most interesting thing I think, of course, and you, and you mentioned it is, is the status of that Melanie strong led group. And that's not to say that that was the only group that was interested early on, but really from the moment Merritt announced that he was going to um, sell the thorns, that was the group that came out and said that they were interested, that they had the resources. And we're talking about a women led Portland based group that was coming in to sort of, you know, with, with kind of this idea of saving the thorns and you look at the values of, of the franchise and the city and kind of what, you know, the thorns have been through over the last near decade, you know, that all really lined up. It sounded, it sounded good. And so to now understand that that group, you know, from like, from the team side, like you said, didn't have the, the resources to actually, you know, be the, the winning group is interesting and an important update. Um, You know, I was kind of struck by, how deep of pockets they're looking for uh, from from an owner. You know, Heather Davis said, with the way the league is going, you're seeing, with the growth of the league, you're seeing owners coming in who are, you know, billionaires or multi-billionaires or near billionaires. And, you know, the sense I got, you know, from reading what you wrote was that the the the, the group that we knew about did not have anybody with that with that level of um, of wealth. So. It's an interesting line to draw. I'm going to be curious to see, you know, how that plays with with fans and if if fans had any attachment to that group as, you know, you know, as coming in to to as a, as a buyer. Um I think it will ring hollow or I think what would be disappointing would be to know that you had a group that came in it with, you know, the values and, you know, the women-led aspect, local ties. And I, you know, I understand that that, you know, is not necessarily that that's not going to be the group in the end, but then for there to be some, you know, Florida based billionaire who comes in, it's like, but you've got the billion and that therefore you're more qualified than this group of local women. So I'm going to be interested to see how that kind of plays out because, um, you know, at least optically that group sounded great. It sounded like it checked every box that you would have wanted to have, um, you know, maybe short of the of of the 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 financial piece that that the what is it bdp capital the the group i've never heard of and don't need to ever hear of again uh is 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 handling the sale um and what they're looking for bdt capital yes a t there at the end bfd capital is what i say (laughs) so um yeah they're the bank that um, you know, given Hank Paulson's extensive ties in the financial world as the former CEO of Goldman Sachs, you know, former Treasury Secretary under George W. Bush, uh, that's Merritt's father. For those who are not familiar, I'm sure most listeners are. Um, he he, you know, has those connections, and therefore they were able to, you know, link up with BDT Capital, who recently, you know, as an interesting aside. Uh, helped the founder of Under Armour sell a hundred million dollars worth of shares in the company, which is no small amount of money. Um, that's that's small potatoes for a an organization like BDT, though. Um, you know, in in general, I, I think that the the point that you make is an important one, right? That the the fans of the club and the members of the Portland soccer community are seeking people that are more reflective of their values than what has transpired in the recent years and the very public and serious mistakes and you know the frankly the the animosity between Merritt Paulson and and the fan base at this point right the the relationship is frayed and negative in a two-way street in that you know it's not just about the the mistakes that Paulson has made and and the the you know things that fans believe are disqualifying of his ownership it's it's that you know neither party trust each other anymore neither party really seems to be on the on the same playing field in terms of their value system at this point um and so that was part of the draw for melanie strong's group right you you saw this group of people led by by mel strong who was somebody that that raised issues of gender equity when she was working at nike that uh you know put together a group of women business leaders 
who who seemed like they would fit the bill of of what an ideal Thorns ownership group would look like. That being said, it it ran into to the realities I think of of the NWSL's growth and what those owners now look like, not just for Portland, not just for Merritt Paulson and the type of of person or group that he is seeking, but but the direction that the league is going and that there are owners for teams like Bay FC for teams like Chicago and, and OL rain who are, are also on the sale market um, who are going to be purchased in, in no small part by near billionaires and billionaires going forward. That's something that, you know, the league has moved toward that Heather Davis publicly stated is, is a preference at this point for the league is having that more stable um, and deep pocketed, individual in terms of net worth that can sustain the exponential growth of this league into its next decade. We've seen how far the NWSL has come in the last 11 years and 11 years from now, it could be a really enormous sports enterprise that requires that type of initial investment or even continual investment on the part of, of the teams. We could, we could see changes in ownership simply for that reason that, you know, the owners that were there before uh, can't just ride on the valuation of the league as it, and the teams, as it continues to go up, they, they need more money to invest in things that players want and deserve, like their own training facilities, like their own soccer specific stadiums, as is the case in Kansas city. Um, and, and you look ahead for the, thorns in particular um that's a big driving force for the group that they want to eventually be the owners of the team they um said and heather davis said in the interview that um a big part of who they decide is going to be the future owner is going to be their willingness to invest fully in the new training facility they essentially they being heather merritt paulson and the current brass at ptfc they want to have the site or multiple sites on a t for the future owners to then take over initiate that project pay for it in full um, and that's an expensive endeavor and it goes back to having somebody with deep pockets for for something that the thorns players have been outspoken and wanting um what do you think about that aspect the idea that you know maybe Merritt Paulson is not footing that bill now and for years has has said that he was going to get the team a training facility. But now the the final, I guess, move for for his part is to to be sort of teeing it up for the next person. I think I get it. I think I get that, you know, that Merritt feels like this is something he wants to accomplish before he hands the team over that he wants to he wants to set it up and, and not and not you know, hand the team over to someone else and then not see sort of his vision come to fruition. Um, especially considering the the timeline that we now know they are on. Um, I think, I think that all makes sense and is, is fine. I'm not, I still, I still think that, you know, in the absence of an update, the idea that they were talking, you know, a couple of weeks ago about a training facility was, was just confounding, right? When it's like, no, your focus from a business standpoint needs to be getting this sale done. Um, that said, if, if, if getting a training facility at least identified and getting those sites put together between now and, and the time of sale comes together, I mean, you still have to run the club. You still have to make, you still have to push the club forward. I mean, that I think the, the absence of, you know, of, 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 of an actual training site has been a huge problem for this club throughout its 11 year history. And so being able to, you know, signal to the players that, you know, they're going to get that sooner rather than later. I think one thing you don't want to have in a sale and, you know, I would love to, you know, be able to find a reason to pile on to merit for this particular thing. But I think one thing you don't want to have is have the sale, st- you know, gum up doing business else in, in other ways to actually, actually running the club where the club suffers and players suffer because the sale is getting in the way of actual, actual progress. Right, and that dedicated training facility is not the only thing that that Thorns players have expressed as as wanting to be changed. Right, they they also desire for there to be a grass field at Providence Park, which is not something they are alone in wanting. You know, fans have called for that, um, but but 
on an even greater scale, you know, Timbers players and coaches don't want that either. It's not just the the thorns that that have complained about that. And and there's well, let me a, ask you a about lot the, of debate. The, yeah, there's a lot of debate about, about the injury because, part because but, yes. because with the grass field, I you know I'm getting kind of up to speed on some of this stuff. You know, after coming back up here a year ago, <clears throat> and um, I was reading back some stuff about the grass field from a few years ago, maybe around 2019. And it seemed like Merritt and the city were all pretty aligned in getting a grass field in, you know, pre pandemic. Where has that sort of, where has that gotten stopped up and what role does the city play in, in making the transition from turf to grass? Well, the, the entity that is Peregrine sports, um, you know, they, they essentially, own well the city owns the property but they they are the the tenants and and the the people who operate providence park right and so the hang-up from my understanding and you know there will be continual reporting in the future the hang-up is is multi-layered in that there are um there are issues with water beneath providence park that certain construction would need to work around there are issues with maintenance of grass which is you know everybody's got to deal with those that's not an excuse by any means there are issues of cost there's issues of um you know lack of of necessarily the the weather conditions to to keep the the grass from sort of becoming this this muddy you know on uneven surface and, and maintaining it in a way that protects it. Um, given the weather here, there's, there's a reason why Seattle doesn't have one either for, for that reason. And that, you know, given our weather in the Pacific Northwest, that's, that's one of the big challenges. Um, and there's more to it, you know, and, and these are things that, you know, people have spoken about privately, but um, have, have not quite reached the point of explaining in a public setting. And that's frustrating for fans because they want to know, more about why the grass field is not going in. But, but I do think there is a desire on, on the part of, of Paulson and, uh, and the people there, even if it has taken all this time and and they have in, in the view of fans kicked the can down the road or not shown a whole lot of interest in doing it. Um, I think the desire is there to, to do that in the coming years, because you've got the world cup coming here for the men in 2026 and possibly for the women in 2027. Um, by then, you want to have a grass field here to to be able to. Well, you may not have the the seats for the men's World Cup to to really justify being one of the stadiums that they play at. Um, you could definitely be one of the host cities for the women's, and and that, given the Thorns' support here, given the history of women's soccer in this city, um, that's a pretty huge motivating factor, I would imagine, to to make that investment, and it's it's necessary. Look, you talk to yeah, like, any, why, any why soccer want, player, yeah. Why would you Why would you want to stay up until two a.m. to watch the U.S. watch lose to Sweden when you can just walk down the street to your neighborhood stadium to see it happen? <laughs> right. Uh, maybe maybe by then um, things will be different for the U.S. women's national team, and and uh, yeah, their performances have been n- no shortage of underwhelming. Uh, in in this World Cup, and we'll get to that a little bit later in in the podcast. Talk about that Sweden matchup, which is going to be a rough one for uh, Vlatko Andonovsky and company, I would imagine, given these recent performances. But you know, the grass issue is real. It's it's still something that people are discussing. Um, it's not up to the future owners of the Thorns. It's up to Merritt. It's up to Heather Davis. It's up to the people in charge of the Timbers, who you know, as as part of Peregrine Sports, they're continued continuing to have power over that situation and will be renting Providence park out to the thorns to play. The thorns want to play there. There's no plans for their own stadium at this point. Um, you know, given the history of them playing there, they want to play there. They want to play on grass just as much as the timbers do. And going one piece of what, yes, one, one piece of your story, Ryan was about the partnership between the timbers and the thorns after a sale goes through and Heather Davis mentioned, you know, obviously they want, they want new owners to be committed to partnering with the timbers. What does that look like? You know, one of the things that I've um, been hung up on in this whole process and I've written as a question for this situation is if, if Merritt Paulson is selling and I know Merritt Paulson wouldn't say he's selling because he is no longer, you know, 
capable of leading the franchise after the scandals that that have, that have transpired. But that is essentially it, right? Like the, the 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 things that have happened under his watch have essentially been dis- disqualifying, and he is no longer fit to own the own the club. Nobody's forcing forced him to do it, but that is how we've ended up in this situation. How does that dynamic work if the Thorns maintain that partnership with the Timbers? And granted, like the Timbers. The, the partnership between the Timbers and the Thorns has been massively beneficial for the Thorns. It has given the Thorns, you know, you know, a, the the ability to grow in you know this great soccer palace on a great plot platform in Soccer City, all of that. Um, and obviously, that's something you want to see continue. But at the same time, the Thorns then become become subtenants at Providence Park. Their landlord becomes Merritt Paulson essentially, and so the power dynamic remains Merritt Paulson. And then the thorns below them. Is that tenable? And I, I guess I just wonder what that looks like going forward. Because obviously, I'm sure Merritt doesn't see a problem with that. But a lot of people who think the problem is, you know, Merritt having control of the thorns is the problem. You know, that dynamic still exists if, if you know, he is essentially the the landlord of of the of the club, even with new ownership. His perspective when when I spoke to him about the the complexities of separating the two teams when I I talked to him about the idea that that fans and yourself have raised that selling one and not the other is you know seen as a half measure or that he would maintain power structure over the team as a result and and that that misses the point. Uh, his perspective is that what happened with the U.S. Soccer investigation, what happened with the NWSL investigation, and everything associated with Paul Riley. Um, for him is not disqualifying for him to own the thorns. His public perspective is that he's doing it um, because he believes that the thorns need a fresh voice. Now that's, that's a public perspective. That's a, that's a PR spun perspective, obviously. And, and I'm sure that, yeah, because he wouldn't feel that way if not for the backlash and the number of people who think that it is disqualifying. Right. And I'm sure that that factors in and he has said as much that, you know, the the Yates reports findings factored into him making the decision. He he has repeatedly said it was not a forced sale, Um, but you are right in that it does maintain some level of power structure here between him and the thorns. Right. He still will be the person renting out Providence Park to them at, um, you know, and anything other than a, a fair price would be perceived extremely negatively by the Portland soccer community and any goodwill that he might have with, with folks would be lost and it would affect the bottom line for first and foremost, the area that they are operating from right now though, is one where their bottom line has been pretty much not affected by anything that has happened in the last couple of years. The, the butts are still in the seats. The business is doing very well. MLS is growing and going to continue to grow in the next coming years with, with the Apple deal with Messi, with every, everything swirling around that league, the growth of the game domestically um, is going to make for an extremely profitable enterprise for, for merit as he continues to own the timbers, but the power structure will still be there. You know, he'll, he'll still not just be the the person that um, operates Providence park, but maintaining that partnership with the timbers Um, means that the owners of the Thorns, whoever they may be, are going to on some level have to be congenial with and and work with Merritt Paulson in ways that, you know, require him to to be the person with power in that situation. He's going to be the one that has the, if this is somebody that's from out of town, which we don't know necessarily whether that's the case, but there's not a whole lot of billionaires walking the streets of Portland. So let's keep that in mind. But if it's somebody that's not local, it uh, it's going to be on him to to help that owner or owners foster local connections, build community rapport, continue work through the Stand Together initiative, and volunteer in the community, and um, you know do the things that make the transition, in their words, seamless. Um, but I think in a lot of ways both players and fans don't want necessarily a seamless transition. They want very much for there to be seams that separate these two entities that make sure that, you know, the, the cultural issues that have bubbled up as a result of, of Merritt Paulson and his executives mistakes are separate and 
not uh, impacting the experience for Thorne's players and for Thorne's fans um, in, in a way that is negative and does not reflect the values of, of these players as they continue to grow the league, as they continue to fight for their values and for equity and, and for um, you know what they deserve as their sport grows. So there's a lot of layers to it um, in terms of, of those power structures. Um, but at this point for them, it is inevitable Un- unless merit were to, back in December to say that he was going to sell both the teams divest completely and, and sort of ride off into the $800 million sunset. Um, that would have been the only scenario under which, you know, that these type of power structures would not exist. And so how, how do the players navigate those power structures? How do the future owners do that? And how willing are they to, to bend in certain directions that may not favor what people in Merritt Paulson's camp might desire out of certain situations. So continuing on here with this uh, subject, just the, the final note, um, you know, 2023 is, is the target um, for, for completing this sale uh, by the end of this year is, is what Heather Davis said they're on track for multiple interested parties. That's that's the biggest aspect of this, I think, at this point, is that we are closer now to, to this happening than before. Um, and this was our first update, so it's it's important for, for folks to know this information. Um, there, is, there are some games happening as well. Uh, you know, some, some soccer is occurring. Uh, the, the Timbers, even though they lost 2-1 to Tigres uh, in a, a match that Evander got a red card. There was a lot of drama. They played with 10 for the entire second half. Um, you know, despite that loss. What a they couple advanced. of soft yellows those were. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, wa- were- I, wa- I watched that match. I subscribed to <laughs> Apple TV for that match, giving <laughs> hope to the Pac-12. Um, <laughs> I I mean, both those both those were just weak, weak, weak yellows. Um, so that's my, that's my that's my contribution. <laughs> no, I agree with you generally. Um, you know, speaking, you know, in a personal capacity, I agree. Uh, that affected the game, obviously, and it will affect the next game because uh, Evander is suspended for that red card for this game that's now coming up on Friday against Monterey. Uh, David Bingham also suspended for going after the ref after the game. He's the backup goalkeeper at this point, but, you know, that's another guy you're going to be missing. Uh, so, so the Timbers look ahead to this Monterey match, um, a continuation of, of the club being able to foster this connection with, with Mexican fans. There was a huge contingent of Tigres fans out at Providence Park last time, which was really fun to see. Um, and Monterey fans travel, I believe, in even larger numbers uh, and are historically one of the best teams in League MX. So that is going to be fun in that aspect, but there's also the soccer to consider, which I think is going to be an uphill battle for the Timbers, not just because they are missing Evander, who is the engine that sort of makes their attack go and uh, is unquestionably, in my view, their best player at this point. Um, But Monterey is a damn good team and they, you know, they hung a few goals on both the teams in their groups, including Seattle, who they beat four to two uh, in the last one scary team for sure. And, and their portion of the bracket timbers portion of the bracket contains pretty much all the powerhouses from Liga MX. So, you know, the challenge isn't only to get through Monterey, which is an uphill battle, I think. And you would imagine that Monterey would be favored in that game. Um, but you win that you got to play Tigres again. And that was a darn good Tigres team, um, which credit to the timbers, I think the Timbers before the Evander red card competed extremely well with Tigres. It was, it was a game that was tied one, one at that point, but the Timbers were the first ones to score a goal. They were playing end to end with Tigres defending well, except for the one lapse that led to, to Geniac scoring that first goal. Um, I, I think that the Timbers are in good form right now. And uh, you know, Chris Reifer, if he were here, he would, he would try to reel that back and, you know, kind of provide maybe the, the cynical end of it. Like, oh, well, it, maybe it's a flash in a pan or, oh, well, this, you know, this is fine, but they're going to run into a good team and get eliminated and it'll be over. And all of that may well be true, but I, I think that 
this stretch in particular for the Timbers has been a positive one and something that regardless of what happens against Monterey on Friday, that they hope they can carry over uh, into the remainder of the regular season. Um, you know, that, that will begin in the latter part of this month with a few new faces as well. Obviously Miguel Araujo joined the team at the start of the transfer window. He's been around for a bit, made his debut against T grace for just spot minutes. He's, he's a guy that, you know, we knew was going to be a depth piece for the, for the Timbers uh, at center back. Additionally, um, you've, you've got the, uh, you've got the addition of two other players at the deadline. Uh, the first being Brian Acosta, who was traded from the Colorado Rapids uh, for some gam, some general allocation money uh, for those unfamiliar. Um, and additionally, you've got uh, Anthony, the Brazilian winger who is going to come in that became official today. Uh, that's that's somebody that is going to be in the U22 initiative, a uh, young player who has potential to to be a strong contributor for the team if he you know, plays up to his potential. Another one named Brazilian who, uh, you know, is is going to bring plenty of, of potential and talent to, to the team as as they move forward uh, at this point. These are these are two not necessarily game changing moves, but rather moves for depth and moves for the future for the Timbers. Um, it's not going to magically fix their season, as Chris Reifer would probably be quick to note. It's not going to um, change maybe the issues that exist tactically for this group. But look, they made moves. And I think that these are two very positive and strong moves by, by Ned Grabovoy here to, to bring in an MLS veteran like Acosta who can add depth in central midfield to have a veteran player in a Raujo who can give you depth in, at center back, which they desperately needed, um, you know, when they didn't have Zach McGraw or didn't have Dario Zuperich. Uh, and, and Anthony is a guy that, you know, when you don't know what the future looks like for Jimmy Chara, who's had a lot of injuries, when you don't know whether Santiago Moreno is going to be somebody that's here long-term, um, you know, it's, it's an important addition at this point. So, so transfer window, I think has been largely a success for, for the Timbers um, with a look ahead to future windows as ones where they might make more serious and game changing acquisitions that are, are going to carry this team into the future. Yeah, it seems like depth, they're having some just depth issues all year, especially in, in, in the midfield. And so shoring that up and getting some guys who can come in and, and give them, you know, real playable options, I think, going forward is important. I mean, Acosta is a guy I'm familiar with from my sort of casual uh, viewership of, of, of MLS. And, you know, Anthony, I mean, Anthony and Cleopatra is one of Shakespeare's greatest works. So I'm all in. <laughs> yeah. Um, not that Anthony and, and not the Anthony from Manchester United either, which some people have made that joke and obviously they know it's not him. That would be a, a bit more of a transfer fee than, uh, than I think an MLS team would be willing to shell out. Um, although Lionel Messi happens. So who knows? Maybe, maybe the rules are going to change. Maybe, maybe things are going to open up completely now and it's just going to be, a wild roller coaster ride, uh, an MLS, uh, maybe not a Hawaiian roller coaster ride. That's that song just popped into my head as I said that. Ryan, um, you just said something I want to ask because I I admit having a surface level understanding of certain elements of of um, of MLS, and I recognize this is a real nuts and bolts podcast. But you asked to have me on. You asked me to come <laughs> on here and to be myself. So I'm going to be myself, and I want to know. Are we ever going to see Lionel Messi play a game at Providence Park? Is that is that going to happen? If a grass field is installed before Lionel Messi retires, yes, you you there's a chance you will see him here. The there are multiple layers to that not being terribly likely. The first is that that aging European superstars do not play on turf. Mm -hmm. They they find they either just, you know, admit to it and sit out and don't care what people think, or they, they suddenly, you know, pick up a calf strain at training in the week leading up and they aren't available because turf is just way harder on their bodies and they don't want to add additional risk to injury when they have these illustrious careers. Um, 
and have played so many minutes in so many competitions over the years. So that's the big one that would obviously prevent Messi from playing uh, on the field at Providence Park. Okay. The other then, is that and, they're and in the, the Eastern Conference. Yeah, yeah. The schedule. We don't, they don't is the see part them until like when? When is the next? When? When are? When are the Timbers scheduled to play uh, Miami next? Twenty twenty six. So they could. There's no real like hard and fast rule for for the matchups between Eastern Conference and and Western Conference teams, but given that Portland saw Miami two years in a row prior to this year. Um, it would be unlikely that they would be on the regular season docket for next season. The most likely scenario would be in leagues cup, either this year or next or in the U S open cup um, just as, as part of the, the random draw. The the issue there is that both of those tournaments are pretty regionally uh, organized in that, you know, the West teams are playing the West teams, the East are playing the East and, you know, your best shot at seeing Lionel Messi play the Portland Timbers is more likely than not on a neutral field uh, in a final, which, um, you know, that's not Providence Park. That's And that's a game that, you know, given the Timbers' struggles this season, would be a surprise for them to show up in, for them to end up in Vegas in that uh, League's Cup finale <laughs> against Messi, which would be awesome, obviously, and I would be spending the dollars of the Oregonian newspaper to fly to to that event if it were to happen. But um, it it's not terribly likely. So that's that's the tough part, right? Is that the the likelihood of of the Timbers even playing Messi, let alone bringing him to Providence Park and seeing him play on the field, uh, is extremely unlikely. Um. So Ryan, I was at the uh, I was at the the match against Columbus when they inducted Valeri into the into the Ring of Honor, and um, you know they obviously pulled out an emotional uh, victory for three points, ending a winless streak of 10 matches. Um, <clears throat> obviously we're in leagues cup play now. So there's been kind of a, a gap in, in matches of, of, of MLS um, significance. But do you think that the, the, the changes they've made here at the, in the transfer window um, can help them turn around the MLS season? Cause I'm still looking back at, at, at the standings in MLS and the Timbers are still, you know, at the bottom of the Western conference or yeah, very they, near the bottom of the Western conference. Yeah, Is this salvageable? Chris Reifer would say, absolutely not. No question. It's over. Love the that guy. Sky, the sky has fallen, but <laughs> I love that guy too. Definitely uh, miss him uh, and hope he's having a wonderful time on vacation. But at the same time, I, I think there is a glimmer of hope. I'm always the, the person to say that, you know, anything can, can happen. MLS is weird. Um, turnarounds have happened before and, and the gap is, is not gargantuan for them uh, to, to make it back into the playoff picture, particularly given the expanded nine team playoffs in MLS. Now uh, they are three points out of that spot, right? But you know, they, they don't have a whole lot of games to go. There's 11 regular season matches left out of 34. Um, it could happen if they carry the type of form that they're in right now in this league's cup, back into the regular season and don't drop points the way they've been dropping points all year long, uh, play with consistency and dynamism in a way that they have not done to, to this point at any point in the season, uh, save for maybe that Seattle game where they went off or the Vancouver win, which was pretty convincing months ago. Um, it, it would take a, a pretty serious heel turn. I don't think that these moves at the transfer window are ones that are going to cause that heel turn. I think that they can help prop up maybe elevated performances by guys that are already here, um, giving them depth and reassurance that, you know, if they go down or if they're underperforming, that maybe someone else can, can step in, kick the tires on Anthony, even though he's a young guy, that's not maybe going to have a lot of opportunities this year. Um, I, I just look the, the transfer window at this point was, was more of you're in the middle of the road and you're and you're starting to sort of pick up the pieces on a on a veteran laden team that guys are steadily going to be coming out of the picture, you know. Sebastian Blanco, this could probably be his last year in a Timbers uniform, either for retirement purposes or just, you know, he moves on to another club um who who, you know, would be able to afford 
his salary given given the desires competitively that the Timbers have and and don't necessarily want to pay that salary uh, next year. Larry Smabiala, Dario Zuperich, um, you know Jimmy Chara, veteran guys that have been around that that may not be in the picture next year. Yaroslav Nishkoda, who has underperformed his contract greatly, not going to be around in all likelihood next year. Um, when you're a team in transition, the transition isn't going to happen suddenly overnight. It's not like, you know, Lionel Messi and Jordi Alba and Sergio Busquets are walking through that door the way they did for Miami. You know, these turnarounds in MLS normally, when you don't have the goat and all his buddies running along with you, they take time and it's really tiered and you, you're going to hit on some signings. You're going to miss. You're going to try to find diamonds in the rough. You're going to find some rough in the rough <laughs> and, and eventually maybe you'll be able to, to rebuild the team. The question is going forward, what the team's going to look like is, are they going to go full rebuild next year and go to more like a younger roster in MLS and, and see what, geo or whoever the coach is can can build up from there or do do they keep trying to make it work with some of these veteran pieces move things around here and there and give it another shot next year um that those are the big questions that are going to be have to be answered this offseason regardless of where they finish I, I don't think this is a team in the timbers that um by any stretch is is going to make an mls cup run uh they have have not shown themselves to to be sort of in that level this season and, and they'd like to get back there, you know, for, for such a long time, the Timbers were, were the class of MLS and Chris and I have talked about this before. Um, but they, they seem to, in a lot of ways, be backsliding toward the, the middle of the pack. And, you know, given that Portland is soccer city USA, given the, the fan support and the history that goes with this club, like they want more and they, and the fans, I think, deserve more in the coming year. So that's on people like Ned Grabavoy, Merritt Paulson, others who um, are the stakeholders to, to sort of recapture the, the magic. Is there any concern that at this kind of period of transition that you're talking about, that the Timbers get left behind and end up in the Mountain West Conference? <laughs> uh, no, that, the, the Timbers will not go the way of, of potentially the Oregon State Beavers or uh, or Cal or or some other or Stanford or some other school um, that, that would, you know, have to slip. They're not going to slip into the USL. There, there's no relegation in United States soccer. Uh, that's part of why the valuations for these clubs are so enormous. So they, they are at no risk of that. The problem is, you know, you are at risk of of being permanently surpassed by the teams with greater uh, investment. Now, an interesting point that I think can be brought out of this sort of jokey question is, is the idea of the rule changes and how they may impact the timbers, right? Like there are, in my view, rule changes coming in MLS. It seems inevitable at this point, given how blatantly not within the confines of the typical rules, this, this messy and friends thing is starting to look. Um, of course, we don't know the exact details and how they fit into the rules, but it's pretty obvious that the old rules are not going to apply for, for Miami. And if that's the case, they're not going to apply for anybody anymore. If, if the other owners have their way and Don Garber is willing to listen, which I'm sure he is. Um, what does that look like then for the Timbers with, with, you know, the training wheels taken off with the challenges that they have spoken a lot about in terms of the limitation that MLS teams face financially. Um, is, is Merritt going to start throwing dollars at the wall in, in ways that other owners do? He, he may not have as deep. All right, Ryan, I've got a question. There we go. Cause this is what I'm yeah. going to talk about. Yeah. Merritt Paulson is suddenly high and mighty about who gets to buy the thorns. I found it. I found the thing that pisses me off. Good. Here we go. Um, <laughs> Merritt Paulson is is on his high horse about only selling the thorns to someone who's rich enough to 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 absorb the growth of the NWSL and and the, and the league, right? And kind of where the league is going. But is Merritt Paulson actually rich enough to be the person who carries the timbers into the, into this new era of MLS and the growth of the league? Is he actually looking for someone to buy the thorns when he is not the 
that he's not the person who can do for the Timbers what he's looking for in a buyer for the Thorns. I think that I'll, the I'll possibility take, I'll take my call offline. Okay, yeah, yeah, you'll you'll hang up and listen. Um, <laughs> so, so the uh, from that perspective, I, I think that the idea of merit in a couple of years selling the Timbers uh, separately um, as their valuation goes up, as MLS continues to grow, as the World Cup comes to the U.S. and and MLS teams see a boon, I think that becomes more realistic. I think that um, you know somebody who a lot of their personal wealth is derived from this investment in the Timbers themselves and their continual growth and valuation. Um, I think he would take uh, that enormous check in, in a couple of years. That's not to say that's going to happen. That's not to say I even have a hint that that's going to happen um, or that he wants that. Um, that would probably be the time to to pass the torch to somebody with, far deeper pockets that could maybe throw the money at the wall and, and keep the timbers as competitive. I, I just don't know. I I don't have merits, you know, bank statements in front of me. I don't know what his level of, of desire for personal investment is going to look like in the new MLS. I do know that, you know, spending $10 million on Evander is no small, Mm -hmm. uh, no small hit to his pocketbook. And that money isn't coming from the team's valuation. That's coming from, from him and from, Peregrine Sports and Hank Paulson and, and all the the money mm-hmm. that is tied into that enterprise. We'll see. I I I know that Merritt's a competitive guy. I know that you know he wants to in the post Thorns Timbers combined team era. He he doesn't want the Timbers to become an afterthought to the to the winners on the other side. The the team that at this point has had far more success than the Timbers have in the thorns. Um, it's not about comparing the two, but you know, he doesn't want to, to disappear into that good night. He wants to them to compete. And the question is, are they going to be successful in that? Are they going to be able to build a competitive team in the new MLS when there are very, very rich people like Jorge Moss in Miami and like the owners of LAFC and NYCFC and um, you know, there could be foreign investment in the league, God forbid Saudi and Qatari investment in the league <laughs> in the future um, that, that could complicate those things. There, there, there is a sea change happening in MLS and um, the, the timbers do not want to, to drown in that by, by any stretch. The thorns played a challenge cup match. Uh, they lost two to one to angel city on the road, which means that they are eliminated from the challenge cup, something that felt close to a foregone conclusion, but obviously the thorns did not want, they had a chance to get into the semis of the challenge cup as the, as the fourth and final team, the, the best second place finishing team as it were in their group. Uh, but that was taken away from them with that angel city loss. Um, they're in the middle of, of some formation changes, you know, trying to, to shift things around tactically from Mike Norris's perspective to, to provide more cover at the back when in transition, they have defended so poorly uh, during this stretch and not had the results that frankly, a powerhouse team like them wants, regardless of who the personnel are that are here. It'll be nice for them to get the world cup players back. Um, a couple of them are, are going to come back sooner than others. Christine Sinclair and Rocky Rodriguez uh, set to rejoin the team in the next couple weeks after Canada and Costa Rica were eliminated from the World Cup. Um, that's a couple midfielders. That's nice. Nice to to add legendary players and key players like that back to the group. But the issues that have, have bubbled up during the stretch for the Thorns have um, are not going to just disappear magically. Even when Sophia Smith and Crystal Dunn get back, even when Hina Sugita gets back um, after Japan wins the World Cup, which I think is a real possibility right now. Of all the teams I've watched in this Women's World Cup, and I have tried to tune into as many games as is possible given my sleep schedule, but Japan, they're the favorites for me right now. And it'd be cool to see Hina win a World Cup and come back and share that that joy with uh, with Thorns fans. U.S., not sold. We'll get to that later. The Thorns, right now, their form, their tactical changes, uh, 
something to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. The regular season comes back August 20th, um, which is the same day as the World Cup final. So, yeah, I, I it's a lot of wait and see right now with the Thorns and, and wait and see with Mike Norris as a coach, somebody who, you know, when Chris and I have talked about this before, um, is working to prove himself to these players, to prove himself that he can carry the sort of on-field success and tactical strength of last year's Thorns team under Reen Wilkinson into this year so that they can, they can repeat because talent alone, cultural alone, you know, talent and culture combined, those two things aren't, aren't going to guarantee you a championship, especially this year in NWSL with so much parity. I just wanted to, to, to quickly acknowledge what you just said about Japan and the world cup. And that's, I think that's just a really important point and, a, and a, an encouraging one because at the Hillsdale public library, they have a world cup, pick the winner contest and my four-year-old selected Japan. And so I'm, if it's not the U S I'm all in on Japan so we can, so we can win something. It's not the Hillsdale yeah. public, the Hillsdale branch of the, um, of the Portland public library. I so see. fingers crossed, go Japan, go my kid house United. <laughs> yeah. Your kid uh, had some serious foresight when it comes to, to, uh, the world cup there. Um, I, I think that, uh, that level of, of depth of soccer knowledge absolutely runs in the family. So it's, it's something that you should be, you should be proud of there having passed that on to your kin. Um, Hina Sugita winning a world cup. What a, what a moment that would be. It, it'll be cool to, to chat with her in some capacity when she gets back to, I hope to do that regardless of how, how deep they go. I think she's a beloved personality in this community. Uh, and among her teammates at this point, the Hina Hive, as as they call themselves, is very real. Um, Annie Peterson from the AP uh, calls herself the the president of the Hina Hive, and I, I firmly uh, support that presidency. And shout out to Annie, also doing great work over at the World Cup. A lot more crowded uh, in in those media circles around the U.S. Na- women's national team than it used to be, uh, according to her and others, which is an awesome thing to see. Um, it's too bad they've had to cover the games that they have, which has been, as we transition into this world cup discussion, deeply underwhelming <laughs> from the U S's perspective, including essentially being saved by the post, uh, in that Portugal match, you know, that shot goes in, um, we're talking about Sofa and crystal coming home early and boy, howdy, they would be furious about that. And there would be some some changes happening at the top of of the national team, I would imagine, um, as a result of that. Underwhelming performances for the U.S. Um, they come up against a Sweden team that is very good uh, in this next match. It's like 2 a.m. on Sunday, I think, is the kickoff. Um, they put themselves in that scenario where the game is is not only tougher, but is not as viewable for U.S. audiences. Uh, with that <laughs> that uh, second place finish in their group, um, the the World Cup had sort of you know structured like strategically without you know admitting so uh, the the round the knockout stage matches for the U.S. to sort of fit into the to the window of being watchable here for those who aren't the sickos waking up at two a.m. Um, but that's not the case now for the U.S. and so. Um, People will pile into the sports bra and other places around the country uh, at 2 a.m. and sell places out like that. And they'll be there. Uh, but but those those are the real fans, the the more casuals, which is important for the growth of, of the game. Um, you know, it's going to be tougher either way. You know, pretty disappointed from what I've seen from the U.S. and coming into this tournament in, in the friendlies that they played and, and leading up to it, they just seem a little mismatched in terms of the players they have in these different positions. The tactics seem a little off. Um, and I, I am not around the team enough to speak to buy-in, but you know, there have been discussions ad nauseum, including some that I think are in bad faith about buy-in and about commitment and, and stuff. I just want to touch on that <laughs> as as sort of a, a main thread of all this because the soccer itself has kind of been painful to talk about. This is an easy one. Carly Lloyd on on 
Fox uh, had this sort of um, soliloquy or, or rant or, or whatever you want to, to call it about um, the culture being sort of negative around the U S women's national team. And again, I don't cover this team. I'm not around them enough to know whether what Carly is saying is valid, but it comes across to me as sort of somebody that has seen their personal focus diverge from the team's overall mission and values (laughs) in a way that sort of bothers them on a personal level. And it's coming out in the analysis in a way that I don't think is fair to these players. I think that these players are absolutely committed that these players want to win that, you know, if they're smiling and signing autographs for children after a game that was disappointing, even though they advanced, even though they were okay in the tournament, that's fine, man. Like it's okay that they are, idols to little girls and that they are smiling and trying to cheer each other up. I even had read that from media that were there that, you know, Crystal Dunn was sort of the one trying to lift up the young players who were hanging their heads and were frankly pissed off about the result, you know, as they should be, but she was trying to lift them up and be like, look, we're good. We're good. Let's, let's rebound. Let's, let's try to keep things positive. That is not. And I think it's, it's, ignorant to say that that these players are somehow ignorant in their way of of the reality of the situation i think they know that they've underperformed i think that they're not in denial that they're just going to waltz to the world cup the the promos that have been done about the national team where it's the u.s versus the world that's not the way it is anymore (laughs) they know that too the rest of the world in a lot of ways has caught up to the U S in, in soccer. And we are still in the United States, one of the powerhouses and the top ranked team and this, that, and the other, but it's just going to take more now than it used to. And that's a different conversation than, well, you know, they're all so busy fighting for equal pay that they don't care about winning anymore, which is what it sounded like. Uh, some in the media were trying to say around this world cup. I don't buy that for a minute, man. Let's, let's be honest about who these people are and what they care about and not try to attribute things to them that people in the public are aware of, let alone those who are in the know, who are journalists, who are current and former players. No. So let's dispense with that discussion. There's also just the reality that, you know, this is a, almost entirely new team, you know, where you are replacing many of the greatest players in, in the history of, of U S women's soccer. You know, I know, you know, Megan Rapinoe is still there and Alex Morgan's still there, but you're talking about players who are, you know, have played in multiple world cups and, and multiple Olympics and are much nearer the end and in Megan Rapinoe's case, much nearer the end than the beginning and and so there is a newness of the, of, of this, and this is still a, a. And I'm not I'm not saying that that means that this is not a group that should still be expected to win, but you know this is a different team, and it's a different team of players who, um, you know, yes, of course they played on the international stage, but you know, I don't know that you can necessarily expect almost an entirely new team to play up to the level of of teams that have had arguably the greatest players in the history of the sport. Um, you know, th- these players are replacing those players. It's just a, it's just, it is a different, it is a different time. And like you said, the rest of the world has caught up. So, um, you know, transition is happening everywhere. And th- and this is just another one of them. It is. And, you know, even if, they... and that opens the door for Japan <laughs> yes. and for my son to win a soccer ball from the Hills, Hillsdale branch of the Portland public library. Yeah, that's the most important aspect of it. Not not the not all the other stuff, right? Um, look, it'd be hard even if they were not young, even if they were not in this transition where the the people who were holding the torch in Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan in Becky Sauerbrunn and others, even if they were not exiting stage left and making way for people like Alyssa Thompson, Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman, and others. Um, 
it's hard to three-peat, man. There's a reason it's never been done before in the history of this tournament. The U.S. still has the most World Cups on the women's side of anybody. They still are viewed as the class of the sport globally. Um, it obviously is, from their perspective, a failure not to win the World Cup. But there have been years before where they have not done it. That doesn't mean that the U.S. soccer federation is in shambles or that the team is headed on a tailspin towards mediocrity the investment that exists in soccer in this country particularly on on the women's side um is just different than it is in other countries um and will continue to be and is growing and that's a good thing and the players will continue to fight for more on that front so they're always going to be there this is probably not their year. We'll be honest that this is this is somebody else's year a Japan, perhaps for for library related reasons, uh, but also just, you know. Sometimes you don't have the team, sometimes dynasties end or they have a hiccup or a break. Um, and that's that's just the reality of sports. I, I think that, you know, you, you look at two all time great players for their countries and and in the club realm as well in Marta for Brazil and Christine Sinclair for Canada both of them are out in the group stage they didn't have their you know ceremonious final you know ride off into the sunset holding the world cup trophy in the air moment sucks for them big time as well if not more so than what is happening with the US because legacies are are pretty much intact for everybody in the u.s and and there's nobody sort of having their swan song tournament on that side uh even though there are all-time great players on that side it it happens you know sports is sadness as portland sports fans are well aware as much as it is and actually more often than it is joy and success and sustained success and that's a tough thing for U.S. women's national team fans to grapple with, and that does not by any means excuse the excuse the poor performances of of this tournament or the the coaching of Vlatko Andonovsky or or anybody involved in in what has been sort of a farce right now for for the U.S. But it's reality. People just have to sort of come to terms with that. And the other part of it, I guess, I would just say, you know, is there through? You know they've they've advanced. You know they're they're certainly still in it. Yes, there have been some very significant red um, red flags, but they are through. You know Sweden is certainly a, is certainly winnable, and then and then you move forward. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it could be you know the next time I'm on this podcast, three years from now, we might be talking about what a triumph the 2023 World Cup was for the U.S. women. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, and it would be great too for for a young player like Sophia Smith coming onto the world stage to to have success and and you know make her mark in in that space as well for Crystal Dunn to continue to to be a vocal leader as she has on that stage for for the team. We'll see. That Sweden game is on Sunday. Um, any parting thoughts, Mister Oram, as we wrap things up here on on the podcast? I just again want to direct people to your your story on on the the state of the sale of the thorns. That was something that I think again has been uh, you know whether it's overdue or just long long awaited. Um, you know, there's some important information in there. Shares kind of the perspective of of Heather Davis, Merritt Paulson as 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 they move forward with this sale. Um, you know, and and really you know shines a little bit of a light too on the point of view of the the women led group that uh, ended up not getting a seat at the table in this process. So I think if you've if you've listened if you've listened to this podcast, you've probably already read the story. Um, but if not, uh, please find your way over to Oregon Live and 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 support Ryan's work because that's a really important story that we've all been all been waiting for and uh, excited to see this morning. Thank you, sir. Uh, you can also find us uh, elsewhere. You know, Bill's works at OregonLive.com as well, talking a lot of different subjects. Dame, the Pac-12, Timbers, Thorns, what have you. It's all there. Uh, the the guy is a man of, of many trades over there, wears a lot of hats, uh, and they probably fit better than mine uh, because my I'm wearing an Oregonian hat right now. People can't see that. We don't post the video. Uh, but I, I have to extend the hat to 
pretty much it's like farthest possible setting in order for it to fit over my head. And once my hair gets long enough, it's like still not even possible. So there, there's the roids, a, bro. Yeah, I know. Big, big head gang over here. You can find us elsewhere on uh, on the platform formerly known as Twitter. We'll, we'll say uh, follow us on X at Bill Orem and at Ryan T. Clark. Uh, catch our zeets or tweets there, I guess. Um, follow Soccer Maiden PDX on that platform as well for however long it exists under the dutiful leadership of dear leader Elon Musk. <laughs> no no it's it's circling the drain he's doing a terrible job uh also follow the podcast a a great example of what happens when you let billionaires buy things i'll leave that where it is (laughs) the the the, uh the podcasting platforms wherever you get them spotify apple podcasts uh make sure to to follow us on there like us subscribe to us leave us a review if you so choose Tweet at Bill Orem with some tactical soccer questions if you if you have them. Like the most in-depth and and difficult questions you have, send them his way. I, I, I think he, he'd be happy to answer them. Uh, that'll wrap it up for us this week. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to Bill again for, for being on. We will catch you next week. <laughs>